today on Ag News Daily. Like, I, I don't know of a farmer or rancher who doesn't want to make ag more sustainable or who doesn't want to make our food supply, keep our food supply healthy. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by my co-host today, Madison Honkamp. Madison, lots of news going on for today. Yes, definitely, Delaney. We uh, had some excitement this morning, actually a couple pieces of news that spurred some excitement, especially in the commodity markets. Madison, I think we should talk about this one right off the top here because it's a huge piece of news. That is about the rumor circling around uh, that that came out of the U.S.-China trade talks today. Do you want to fill everybody in on that one? Yes, definitely. So there is a rumor going around that China is offering to buy $30 billion worth of commodities a year, I guess. Mm -hmm. And this just this includes soybeans, corn and wheat. Yeah. And that had some excitement, spurred some excitement in the commodity markets. And just to put it in perspective, I was just speaking to a group today. So this fact is fresh in my mind. Um, 2017, China imported about 23, 24 billion dollars in ag products. 2018, we're still waiting for final numbers, but it's going to be somewhere around 18, 19, 20. So, see, 30 billion is going to be a huge increase if we actually saw that come to fruition. Yes, definitely. And I did also read a report that Secretary Purdue does say that it's a little bit of a premature comment. Mm -hmm. So, and he doesn't want to raise any expectations. He did tell reporters. Um, but they said that if they do reach an agreement, um, they can recover the markets very quickly. Yeah, if and when they reach an agreement. But that's yes. a big if and a big when. Yes, exactly. Uh, going off of that a little bit, we know acreage has been a concern and top of mind for a lot of producers as we head into planting season here. A lot of folks have been speculating what we're going to see for acreage this year, especially corn and soybean plantings, to see if we get any acres taken away from soybeans. USDA is having their annual Ag Outlook Forum this week in Arlington, Virginia, and they put out some preliminary numbers, well, preliminary planting numbers, I should say, their annual forecast for acreage. And so for 2019, let me back up. For 2018, we saw, as a refresher, we saw 89.1 million acres of corn planted in the United States. For 2019, we're going to see that number increase, which is no surprise, to 92 million acres of corn. Soybeans, in 2018, we saw 89.2 million acres planted. Going to see a pretty significant cutback in soybean acres this year, which again is no surprise. We're dropping down to 85 million acres of soybeans. Wheat is remaining pretty much the same for projections. Cotton is expected to increase to 14.3 million acres. Um, wheat is also projected to be at 2.7 million acres, but commodity prices were also projected by the USDA for 2019 and beyond, 2019-2020 marketing year. Expecting to see wheat prices somewhere around $5.20 on average on the board. Soybeans, eight eighty. Per bushel in 2019 and 2020. That's pretty low. That's lower than where we're sitting right now on the board. Corn prices are expected to see around 365 a bushel. So that's pretty normal, I would say, or a little lower than normal. Um, and then beef production expected to be up again 
at 2.7%, up 2.7% from 2018. And pork, we're expected to see production numbers up 3.8% for 2019. So those are some really preliminary numbers for 2019 because, of course, weather and other things can affect planting. But those are what the USDA is calling for at this point in time. Wow, it really sounds like production is going to go up, but prices maybe not so much. Which I think comes as no surprise as we've got a lot of uncertainty on the trade front. Exactly. And uh, continuing on with more kind of trade talk, Trump did comment with the EU trade talk, and he is saying that he's not going to hesitate to put tariffs Mm -hmm. on European cars and auto parts if the deal isn't reached. Yeah, I saw that too. So that whole the whole EU trade agreement is kind of a, mm, for lack of a better term, a cluster right now. Um, mm-hmm. We've got we've got them officially saying we can move forward with negotiations. We've got this report that came out the other day about is uh, the auto industry a threat? Is the auto industry threatened by trade? So definitely. A lot of pieces to consider there as well, especially when you look at switching from the EU, looking at the USMCA agreement, we saw Canada, Mexico, and the U.S.'s top agricultural officials come together at the um, the U.S. Ag Outlook Forum today, and Mexico and Canada are pretty upset still about the steel and aluminum tariffs that are in effect on Canada and Mexico and said we might not ratify uh, the USMCA agreement. We might not get that signed into effect. And I've got to be honest, I was talking about this with some producers today. I'm not really sure how this works because, right, we've had it signed into agreement by all three heads of state, U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Congress still has to vote on it. Apparently now we can ratify it. So I'm not really sure what the next steps are. But it sounds also like there's some uncertainty there as well. Yeah, definitely. And that's very, I don't know, it's just kind of confusing to me if they've kind of signed, possibly mm-hmm. signed it, possibly haven't. Not quite sure on yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not either. Um, gonna, I'm going to work on getting some clarification on that. Tomorrow on Market to Market, we're having a trade panel discussion, and that's one of my questions I definitely want to get answered. So I will be sure and keep that answer locked in my mind and share it with folks on the podcast <laughs> next week. Sounds good, Delaney. I think another piece of news we both maybe had for today, we know that the 2018 Farm Bill is signed, written, stamped, etc., still working on implementing that because, of course, the government was shut down. But as we've talked about previously on the podcast, the USDA is planning to essentially release a rule, a new work requirements rule, since we couldn't see one get passed on both sides of the um, bipartisanship line. Secretary Purdue is releasing a new SNAP rule, quote, relatively soon on so-called categorical eligibility for recipients of other benefit programs, such as SNAP. And this is going to be USDA's second attempt to alter the food stamp program since it was left out of the 2018 Farm Bill. We know, of course, that Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats have said they're going to challenge this. So whether anything will really change, I don't know if that'll happen. But it's amazing to me that essentially 80% of the 2018 Farm Bill 
is money that goes to SNAP and supplemental nutrition programs and other food stamp type of programs. And it doesn't even go directly to ag. Yeah, I kind of, I have that too. And that was really kind of interesting to me because you would think with the farm bill, most things would go with agriculture Mm -hmm. programs, um, you know, like crop insurance and different things for livestock and food processing and all of that. But yes, the majority of it goes to SNAP and food stamps and other programs like it. Crazy stuff. And I actually just have kind of one other piece of interesting news that I found. Um, So the FDA is kind of under, um, under fire, I guess you could say for regulating livestock gene editing. And I haven't really seen this in the news before. It hasn't really been a big topic, but apparently FDA and USDA are trying to kind of find a way to gene edit with livestock to kind of get rid of those unwanted characteristics. So this would be to kind of dehorn cattle Mm -hmm. and even reduce the use of antibiotics. Mm, Like CRISPR technology and whatnot. So there's just some confusion over who should regulate it. Yes, that's what what it's sounding like. But it also kind of sounds like FDA is handing it over to USDA, but they're also still trying to find an agreement. So yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, it's the same with like cell cultured meat, who should rule it or how should it be governed? I think it's the same story when it comes to gene editing technology for livestock as well. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's see. Okay, I've got uh, two quick pieces of news, both related to our protein-producing friends, one of which is Japan is setting a new safeguard trigger on pork imports that will add another protection layer for their domestic producers and will add tariffs or could add tariffs on U.S. pork products if trade volumes rise enough or rise to a certain level. The new trigger would apply only to U.S. pork exports and not on pork coming from countries part of the CPTPP, formerly known as the TPP Agreement. So we're continuing to see Japan put pressure on the U.S. to uh, to either join TPP, which would be Japan's probably first choice for the United States, or just work to put some sort of bilateral trade agreement in place. Last piece of news for you today, Madison, and for our listeners is an interesting study I found done by the USDA. They essentially did this study. I don't know how this even kind of came to be. Um, It was funded by the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service, or NRCS, and found that steers who ate native season native warm season grasses grew much faster than those who only ate non-native grasses according to a new report um this study was actually conducted by the University of Tennessee and funded by the NRCS but found average daily growth for steers grazing switchgrass during the summer was 66% higher then steers grazing tall fescue and Bermuda grasses, which are both non-native species uh, to the United States. The report also said that steers grazing a combination of tall fescue and Bermuda grass gained 1.6 pounds per day with a total beef yield of 513 pounds per acre 
but the cattle that grazed on switch gas Switchgrass gained a full two pounds per day with a total beef yield of 749 pounds per acre. So, I don't know, I thought that was really interesting that we saw that much of a discrepancy in, in grass, essentially, grass-fed beef. Yeah, that is really odd because um, you wouldn't think that grass would have an effect on Especially, how yeah, much... Especially, the type of grass. How much, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I... I mean, we are kind of learning about this in our in my animal science class because we're actually on beef cattle production right now for our, oh, yeah. our topic. Um, but basically, what what we've been kind of talking about is that you want to feed them grain to gain more weight, not mm-hmm. grass. So that's kind of, that's interesting to me. Yeah, I think grain as a whole definitely you get more rate of gain. But I didn't even. I, it was just interesting that they did a study on. If you're doing grass-fed beef, what kind of grass mm-hmm. should you be feeding them? Yeah, it's it's crazy that a species of grass has a change on rate of gain. Mm-hmm. No doubt. All right. Well, that's all I had for news today. I know that's all you said you had. So should we hop yep. over and check out the commodity markets? Let's do that, Delaney. All right. And, of course, our markets are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group. Folks, I want to stress again, they're going to be at the Commodity Classic. I'm going to be at the Commodity Classic. Hook up with us, meet up with us, especially the Zaner Group. They've got a lot of strategies in place to help you protect your bottom line and put those strategies in place to protect your operation. Give them a call today at 312-277-0050. As I mentioned, The news of China's Memorandum of Understanding leak and uh, other things definitely sparked the grain markets higher today. In the March corn contract, we saw it close up four and three quarter cent at 375 and a half, with the May up four and three quarter cent to close at 384 and a quarter. In the soybean pits, the March contract up eight and a half cents today to close at 911 even, while the May up eight and a quarter cent to close at 924 and a quarter. In the wheat pits, finally some green on the screen for them this week. The March contract up five and three quarters cent to close at four eighty six and a half. The May up six and three quarters to close at four ninety one even. Hopping over into the livestock market is an exciting day for lean hogs. Not so exciting for the live cattle and feeder cattle markets. February contract dropped seventy cents on the day to close at one twenty seven sixty two and a half. The April cut sixty cents to close at one twenty eight sixty. In the feeder cattle pits, the March contract lost 65 cents on the day to close at 143.22 and a half, while the March closed down 55 cents to close at 145.52. In the lean hog pits, didn't quite finish limit up on the day, but did trade limit up during today's trading session. The April contract up $2.97 and a half cents to close at 55.95, while the May put on $2.77 and a half cents to close at 65.80. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 dairy milk contract. February contract down six cents on the day at 13.95. The March up 12 cents to close at 14.72. As I mentioned on yesterday's podcast, going to continue discussing the Green New Deal. Today is going to be with Kansas Catwoman, rancher, blogger, etc. Brandy Buzzard. So let's kick it off over here to Brandy. 
So continuing those discussions revolving around the Green New Deal, we've got a blogger, an advocate, a producer, a cattle producer from Southeast Kansas, Brandy Buzzard, for those folks who may follow with her on Twitter. Brandy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I appreciate this. Oh, well, I'm very happy to be here, Delaney. Thank you for having me on the show. So part of the reason that I reached out to you was because a lot of folks have read your letter to the Congresswoman about the Green New Deal. What was going through your mind when you decided to write this letter to her? Um, well, first, I, ha- I mean, I initially had seen that the Green New-, Green New Deal had been released, and I was kind of reading some bullet points about it. Um, and an article, I was actually on a road trip that day, and my husband was driving, and I was reading bullet points about it. And I saw a bullet point that it, it came from the frequently asked questions document that Representative Ocasio-Cortez's office had distributed. So I, I knew that it wasn't in the in the actual Green New Deal, but it was still, you know, um, a part of the press that was released around it. But I saw a reference to, um, quote unquote, farting cows mm-hmm. in this AQ. And I, um, I just wanted to address that. I thought that, you know, I, I'm proud of what I do and I I want ag to be sustainable and I think beef industry is sustainable and I, I wanted to just address some of the misconceptions that sometimes um, go along with um, with policy. So I just decided to write her this letter. I did email it to her, but after I emailed it to her, I thought I should also put it online because maybe it would get some traction and, and maybe she would find it in that in that way. Mm-hmm. So I wrote it while I was writing. It, I was just thinking, um, you know, no one is going to pay attention to you if you're just, you know, like, for lack of a better word, screaming. You know, if you're in this letter just unleashing your frustrations and things like that, people don't pay attention to that kind of information. I mean, I don't, when someone email, emails me, a, you know, a, uh, not like a nasty a critical email. Yeah. Comment. Yeah. Sends me a nasty email or a critical comment. Like I don't tend to pay as much attention to that because it's not presented in a, in a way that is conversational or open to, con- um, to discussion. So I just wanted to make sure that I was as conversational as possible and that I would not, um, turn any, I wouldn't like discourage her in it in the unintentionally discourage her from reaching out or asking questions or anything like that. So I just wanted to be respectful of her office and um, because she's a congresswoman, that's a big mm-hmm. deal. Uh, I want to be respectful of her office and just also try to get, you know, get have a discussion with her essentially. That was the goal, was have a discussion with her while also clearing up a few misconceptions. And your letter is really well written. Uh, we shared it on the Ag News Daily Twitter account. You can find it on Brandy Buzzard's Twitter account too, but your letter aside, what was your initial response when you were reading through this stuff? I mean, as you mentioned, you didn't want to put your emotion in this letter, which is totally understandable, but I'm sure you were feeling something when you were reading through the initial proposal uh, that was presented by the Congresswoman. Um, I mean, I don't, when I was reading through the initial proposal, like the Green New Deal, there were pieces of it that I thought, well, I, just, I mean, there there are pieces of all legislation that I just don't necessarily agree with. When I got to the part about agriculture and wanting, there's specific verbiage in there, and I don't have it open in front of me, but there's specific verbiage about wanting to work with farmers mm-hmm. to make ag more sustainable and to create a healthy, you know, a healthier food supply. And like, I, I don't know of a farmer or rancher who doesn't want to make ag more sustainable or who doesn't want to make our food supply keep our food supply healthier and work towards a better food supply. So I, I'm supportive of that 
verbiage of the Green New Deal. But like I said, there just seems to be some um, erroneous thoughts behind the FAQ document and maybe where their thought process was when they wrote the Green New Deal in regards to agriculture. So I just wanted to maybe put the first foot forward in having a conversation about how beef cattle are sustainable and contribute to um, improving, you know, agriculture sustainability. And have you gotten a response yet? Um, Unfortunately, no, I have not heard from Representative Ocasio-Cortez or anyone in her office. Um, which is is kind of a letdown because the goal was to have a discussion and create a dialogue with her, and I unfortunately have not heard. But I have received um, lots of you know comments and discussion pieces from from other people in agriculture, from people outside mm-hmm. of ag. Uh, I've done I actually have done a, uh, an interview with MSNBC, and I thought that was I think that's a great step in trying to talk and and create discussion with people who maybe don't. Um, they don't they don't have an ag background and don't live in the beef cattle industry every day. So I have not heard from her office, unfortunately, but hopefully the letter is um, making some positive impact for agriculture. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you've gotten MSNBC to pick it up and you've gotten quite a bit of coverage on social media, um, what's some of the dialogue that you've been having with folks outside of agriculture that maybe read the initial deal and thought, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And and then maybe read your letter and thought, oh, okay, maybe I just don't have enough information to understand exactly the, uh, the reaction or the, the cause from it, from agriculture. Um, I've had quite a few people who have said that, who have commented on the actual, on my web, uh, my website with saying something about how methane is more potent of a gas of a greenhouse gas and carbon dioxide, which is true. However, the EPA, which has stated multiple times that cattle are only responsible for two percent of greenhouse gas emissions, the EPA adjusts that methane number to a carbon dioxide basis. So when it says two percent of greenhouse gas emissions, that's what it is. That's face value. It's been adjusted for. All the scientific calculations have been made. It's only two percent. So. That's something I think that is important, and people have been um, kind of wanting to bring that up with me, and I've just been inclined to, to share that information with them. But the EPA, is that's the government data. You know, that's the data that we rely on to give us the best facts that we can, and they're saying it's only 2%. So that's what I'm inclined to go with. Mm-hmm. So I guess what kind of research or how much of a thought process did you have in writing this letter? Did you sit down and, and start writing it immediately? Were you going through? And I mean, you've got a lot of facts in here. Like, um, did you know that the U.S. produces nearly 20% of the world's beef with only 9% of the world's cattle? I mean, you've got, it, it's not just like your opinion, like you meant, you said, it's a lot of fact-based research. And it looks like you put a lot of work into this letter. I did put a lot of work into the letter. It was a kind of, I started writing it and then I would take a break and think about what needed to be in it and then write some more and then edit. And I, I write for a living. So, you know, it's writing a letter or a, a editorial article is very much a process for me. So I did write and then edit and then write and then edit. I, but I knew that it needed to have factual information in it. It couldn't just come from a place of emotion because um, I'm kind of of the mindset, like if you're going to criticize something, you need to have a solution or kind of back it up, I guess. So I wanted to make sure that there was um, factual information in it that could be um, that could be relied upon to be accurate. So that's why those things are in there. 
multiple times just because I wanted to make sure that whether Ocasio, Representative Ocasio-Cortez read it or whether anybody else read it, that it would have factual data in there, not just, you know, the emotional mm-hmm. plea of a cattle rancher. Absolutely. And as a cattle rancher, what implications, I mean, there's only a couple, I think three or four bullet points in the deal itself about agriculture or in reference to agriculture, but what implications could this have if it got passed on your operation? Well, I think it's kind of hard to speculate that because in the, in the green new deal, there's not actually any steps by which, by which the proponents of the bill want to take. They just say they want to make farming and ranching more sustainable Mm -hmm. and they want to create a healthier food supply. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how that would impact us either with positive or negatively, because there's just no steps listed there. But I do know that regardless of what, of what steps are taken that farmers and ranchers want to, and honestly deserve to have a voice in the policies that are guiding our industry. Absolutely. And like you said, you've, uh, just a transition here, you've got a voice, you've got your column or your blog, Buzzards Beep. Tell me a little bit about the writing that you do and then kind of how you pick your topics like this one to talk about. Um, so my blog started almost a decade ago, honestly, and I kind of, yeah, um, I've been blogging for a while and I, most of my posts are when something I guess I would say lights a fire. So if something, I hear something on the news like this Green New Deal and the FAQ that were associated with it, when I hear something like that, um, you know, that sparks a fire because that's, you know, that's misinformation that meet, that's out in a very public, um, very public arena that needs to be addressed. So that's, that's one way um, that I would kind of think about a topic to, to address. Um, I also just try to, talk about topics that I think that there's a lot of um, mistrust in. So like maybe that the, the, consum- the average consumer in New York or Chicago or something like that, that they maybe don't trust farmers and ranchers. Um, so sometimes I'll write about antibiotics, but it's important for people to know that like I'm a mom and I feed my, um, my cattle or I like, I feed my daughter the same beef that I produce and send to the grocery store. So I'm not going to do anything to those animals that is detrimental to their health because I care about them and I'm, I'm eating the same beef that everybody else eats. So there's no reason for me to do anything detrimental or shady. So I try to convey that through a different analogy so that people can see like, I'm just, a, I'm just another person. Mm-hmm. My job is just different. I live in a different area of the country, but I'm still mom, still wanting to give my kid healthy, um, healthy, nutritious food. And, and so that's kind of like, I try to kind of think of it from that uh, viewpoint of, if I were in New York City and had never been to a ranch, what skeptic, uh, you know, what skepticisms would I have about where my food is produced? So that kind of helps guide me in what topics I, I address. That's and then awesome. sometimes I just write something that's cool. Like I like pictures of their fall calvers. We, we calve our cows out in the fall and there's usually, sometimes there's green grass, but it's usually warm and they're running around. And that's just a fun picture of ranch life or a fun behind the scenes view to see. So I'll, I'll share that as well. Well, we certainly need more people advocating and sharing about agriculture and rural America life. Again, that, that blog is www.buzzardsbeat.com. Brandy, thank you so much for sharing your insight and your opinion about this recent green new deal. I appreciate it.
Oh, well, I'm happy to, to discuss it with you. And I, I hope that the, the letter um, gets some attention from the congresswoman, but also I hope that it has a positive impact for my fellow farmers and ranchers. And, and again, thank you so much for having me on the show to speak about it. All right. Well, interesting stuff there. And folks, I do encourage you to check out her blog post, uh, the letter to Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. If you haven't read that yet, we shared it on our social media and you can check it out on her social media as well. But interesting stuff. I think it's I think she made such a great point that when you're reaching out to folks who have differing opinions than you, especially when it comes to ag versus non-ag people, you really do have to present the facts. You can't put emotion into it or people just don't want to listen. That's so true, Delaney, especially if you're um, just kind of telling them like, because if you put the emotion into um, talking about agriculture, it kind of just seems like it's like one, another emotional yeah. thing. Kind or, of. or you're complaining almost. And that's not yeah. how we want to present it. So. Exactly. We want to definitely present the facts and get the true information out that's there. That's right. Exactly. And folks, if you're looking for true information, Ag News Daily tries to present you the most accurate information, not only on the podcast, but also on social media. Check us out on Facebook and on Twitter at Ag News Daily. Give us a shout. If you're going to be at Commodity Classic 2019, you can also interact with us by heading to our new home at theglobalagnetwork.com. You can contact us there as well. Madison, with that, should we let the folks go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.